In this episode, we have the honor of interviewing Tim Harcourt. Tim is an Australian economist who for many years has traveled to many countries around the world, conducting research and analysis of the economic state and opportunities of each of these nations. His work has taken him to Colombia, a country he describes as resilient due to all the social challenges they've had to overcome through many decades. Tim shares with us his impressions of Colombia and tells us his views on the unfolding of the economic relationship between Colombia and Australia, particularly as both countries are experiencing political changes and are recovering from the challenges imposed by the pandemic. Tim also tells us about his book and film series titled The Airport Economist, where he dedicated a chapter to Colombia. We learn in this interview about himself and the motivations he had to enter the field of economics, as well as his current work as professor and Australian government advisor. Please join us as we gain knowledge from Tim's lessons. Tim Harcourt, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's it's a really, 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 truly, truly pleasure to have you uh, on the Australia Columbia Dialogue podcast. Uh, we've been talking for for having this this chat over a few over the last few weeks, and, and it is a pleasure on behalf of all the team to have you with us. Um, we know that you're a great fan of Colombia. Uh, let's talk, a, uh, you know, from the beginning a little bit about your your book. It's been a, a little bit over a year. Uh, the Airport Economist, the second second Airport Economist. Um, and, you know, I think it's a great way to introduce you to, to our audience, both in Australia and Colombia. But again, a pleasure to have you with us. My pleasure. Of course, it's Colombia. Of course, I'll accept your invitation. And uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I brought out the Airport Economist Flies Again, uh, which has a chapter on Colombia. And then in the TV series I did just before COVID, Colombia was uh, uh, one of the chapters that we did on Latin America uh, episodes with uh, Brazil and Argentina and Peru and Chile and, and Mexico. And of course, on, on the Airport Economist podcast, we interviewed the Colombian ambassador to Australia and we interviewed the Australian ambassador to Colombia on the TV series. So we've had a lot of interactions. So it's a great pleasure to join your excellent podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, with the team we were discussing, um, we have to start off because uh, with, with the book and uh, because... You know, we, we're coming out of this tragic two years and the airport economist. So so how do, how do you manage to to see what was going on in the world with all this upheaval uh, due to COVID? How, how do you things, uh, how do you see things evolving over the last two years and how, how that has impacted uh, your work? Well, yes, yeah, a lot harder. And in fact, the last um, presentation I did for the Australian government actually was to Colombia, was to the Australian embassy in uh, in Colombia to for Erica and the team. So, um, uh, you know, I have been I've been still presenting to Colombia, even though I wasn't able to go there because of COVID. But uh, yeah, it has it, it's impacted uh, Australia and Colombia because we we are warm hearted people that rely on a lot of um, you know face to face direction. So I think um, for Australians and Colombians, we've had to sort of work our way through podcasts and videos and all these other methods. Uh, but there's a couple of things in our favour. I think one is we built up very good relationships with Colombia before COVID. And I think uh, I, I found in international business and trade and, and just people, um, you build these relationships over a long time. And I began in Colombia, as you know, for 15 years 
you know, for my very uh, much early with my work in Australia in the university. So uh, that's pretty important because when you can't go there for a couple of years, you rely on people you've met a long time ago. So I think um, we've managed, and um, we've been very lucky in Australia to have so many hard-working Colombian students that I've taught a lot of. And if you go around the eastern suburbs of Sydney, you'll hear a Colombian accent in every retail shop and every coffee shop because a lot of the students here take part-time jobs and work very hard. So the Colombian influence is still in Australia despite COVID. And uh, as we recover and have vaccines, I think, you know, we'll be able to rebuild what we uh, what we set up before. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, of, a, of a coincidence because I remember the the first uh, airport economies the your book came out uh, at the back of of the global financial crisis in 2008 and and with this uh, you know the airport economies fly flies again uh, you know at the back of of, of the pandemic are you blaming so... me for it are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, uh, so, not um, coincidence. Yeah, that's right it's me coincidence Correlation, not causation. Not intending to blame you, but I'm already thinking about the third, the third book. Yeah, watch so, out. Oh, yeah, so hopefully we don't have to wait for a major crisis. Yeah, but this right. is just this is just to say that um, you know you, you've you've a globetrotter. You you've been uh, everywhere in the world. You have met so many people uh, that uh, has given you an incredible insight as to how economies has been uh, the Australian economy, but you know all these other countries have evolved um, as they embrace global trade. and uh, And I want to pick your brain into this. So, um, how do you think? How do you see things evolving from from now? Now that we're uh, you know coming out of the, of, of the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's funny what you say about coincidences with crises in my books. Uh, at one stage, um, I had Julia Gillard launch one of my books and she got rolled as Prime Minister. And then I, launched, I got Kevin Rudd to launch one of my books and he got rolled as Prime Minister. So Malcolm Turnbull, Scott Morrison, Anthony Albanese, they, they, won't, go, they won't go near a book launch, you know. <laughs> I think I have to get Ross Gittins or someone to do the next one. But... Uh, uh, but all many coincidences. Look, I, I think it's interesting. One, one is uh, uh, looking at how COVID affected us compared to, say, the GFC, is that um, we almost put the economy into recession deliberately or at least slowed it down with the tyranny of social distance, with the lockdowns. So it was quite different. And I, I think what was good about Australia is that we had JobKeeper, so we ensured that people could be tied to their employers and that's why, you know, we have the lowest unemployment rate since 1974. I think the government got rid of this debt and deficit fetish that we used to have, because you know that only governments can spend money when the private sector is locked down. And so I think we did that reasonably sensibly. And um, like uh, Colombia, being a commodity exporter meant you could get through the pandemic reasonably well, because people still needed gas, they still needed iron ore, they still needed agriculture. And particularly now with Russia and Ukraine with 35% of wheat exports out of the picture because Ukraine is, is fighting, not farming. Uh, you know, there will be a, a, you know, a global food crisis and Australia will have to fill that gap. So I think um, in some ways we've been lucky. We actually uh, cope with the pandemic reasonably well from a medical point of view and an economic point of view, but also our export 
uh, structure means that we've been able to, world trade has, has gone on. So that's been a, a fortunate thing for Australia. And I know that, you know, Colombia has been very interested in Australia's agricultural capability and in improving sustainability in our, in our mining and resource sector. Yeah. Um, what were you, your, your first impressions uh, the first time you, you visited Colombia? I was blown away by Colombia because, um, you know, as you know, Colombia had this you know image with uh, Escobar, uh, the soccer player, and, and drug cartels, and I, I didn't. I was told by Colombians don't expect that, so I was you know well well ready. But what I was blown away is that um, my first uh, trip to Medellin, um, the uh, head of the Department of State Development picked me up and took me on a helicopter all over the state. And I just remember the uh, the head of the Department of State Development, um, the head of the Treasury, the officials were very young. They were uh, in their 20s and 30s. And they all spoke Spanish, Chinese, English, uh, French, Portuguese. They were uh, Japanese, some of them. They were extremely well educated and, um, and bilingual. And I just thought, wow, like these are like very young, smart people. And one of them said to me, they said, you know, we used to learn, uh, we used to get a really good education in Columbia to get out because of the FARC and the Civil War and the drugs. Now we're getting a good education because we want to stay and contribute to, uh, you know, the development of the Colombian economy and society. So I was really impressed with that. And then uh, uh, later I went to Cartagena and, you know, travelled around the country and then I ended up doing a talk to the young diplomats in Bogota at a beautiful, you know, state building. And so I was just... I think I was really impressed with the Department of Youth, the the young human resources in Columbia. I thought that was a real, a real strength and very very impressive. And um, you know, they were telling me, "Can you spread the word about Columbia so we can get some good things out there?" So I really worked hard to try and tell people how great Columbia is and how great the people are. Yeah, and and you know, we we everyone that has been uh, involved or come across your work. I think you'd only have uh, words of praise because you really put a lot in effort in, in projecting uh, uh, an authentic um, uh, image of, of the country, which unfortunately for, for some countries like Colombia, uh, due to the lack of coverage in terms of, of other news that are not either drug related or conflict related, it's very hard for the people to actually get to know what's really going there. And, and 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 it comes all down to to the people and as you mentioned you know um, people that are very well educated but um, now I'm thinking we are um, you know into a transition period in which some of the concerns we we, we we've heard is that you know after the pandemic a financial crisis that has followed um, we will see some of these people leaving leaving the country because uh, unfortunately uh, the conditions are, are not uh, as good as they were before the pandemic. No, no, that that's right, and um, it's been pretty tough for the Pacific Alliance countries with the uh, with with the pandemic. Um, one thing I must say too that I will never forget is uh, you remember uh, Escobar who scored that own goal in the uh, in the World Cup in the USA. Uh, he was assassinated, but they, they took me to his club, his soccer club in Medellin, mm-hmm. and they built up the whole area. And it had been a very poor crime-ridden area, and they had built up the sports facilities. So uh, the other thing that I was amazed at in Colombia is the sports diplomacy, the uh, 
the build-up of using sport to raise people out of poverty. And I thought they turned something quite tragic into something quite, quite, uh, quite remarkable. So perhaps that there's a lesson in that. If we can get through FARC and the Civil War and the drug cartels and that, that terrible tragedy with Escobar, uh, you know, we can get through COVID and uh, some of the, the challenges that the whole world's had. And we all, you know, no one's losing any competitive advantage because we've all had restrictions to tourism and, and travel and the, the tyranny of social distance to that extent. So maybe Colombia being more resilient than most might actually, might actually do a bit better, I think, than other countries that haven't had the same internal challenges. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think if 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 there is one country that has really projected resilience, it's, it's Colombia. The country has endured so many so many issues, uh, you know, across the table. But um, the other thing is is I, I was thinking, okay, so so I have to ask Tim about um, the airports. Um, <laughs> so I'm changing topics here. Which is the best airport you have been to? Yeah. Uh, so, um, I mean, Bogota was very smooth because I had to transit between domestic and international terminals, but I had very good friends in the embassy in Australia who helped me. Um, I quite like uh, Medellin because you had to come in over the mountains and cut it, Cartagena because I saw the, the Caribbean, Caribbean coast. You know, it's funny, I called it the airport economist because I thought the trade economist was too boring, but I ended up getting great sponsorships. So LATAM Airlines sponsored me and my crew or around Latin America, which was great. So I think the airport economist has been a good title. And Qantas sponsored me all through Asia and UK and uh, Emirates and the Middle East. So it's ended up being quite good for sponsorship. And, uh, you know, LATAM Airlines were very, very generous and excellent, you know, with their uh, connections through Latin America. Uh, and I, I interviewed, you know, Valeria for the uh, for the show. And her, her knowledge of Colombia, Peru, Chile, Brazil so so detailed that uh, it ended up being a real, really a real boon for the for, for the show. But uh, there's a few things I haven't been, to, you know, a few places I haven't been to Cali in Colombia. There's a few other places for me to go next time, you know. So there's still still plenty to see. Oh, definitely, definitely. L- let me ask you about uh, you know the airport economies, which has been you know a success uh, for those who have uh, watched the episodes. Um, how do you came up with the, with the idea? You know, I was, I was working for um, Austrade and um, initially I was just an economist in Sydney, you know, you know, doing graphs and charts and so on. And Ross Gittins said, you know, at Austrade you'll, you'll meet a lot of companies, a lot of exporters, go out and interview people, you know, uh, and that'll be your comparative advantage. Otherwise you could be at the Reserve Bank or the Treasury. So I ended up writing about, I think the first place I wrote about was China and I went to the BRW with the BRW, this magazine, and I went around China interviewed companies, Australian companies that were exporting to China and the ambassadors and politicians. And before that, I'd only been to Chinatown, nowhere in China. Now I've been to 15 cities, you know. And when I published that, um, the Australian guy in Japan said, you always write about China. What about Japan? And the Japanese embassy took me out to dinner and said, write about Japan. And I said, well, I'll write about Japan if you send me to Japan. So I went to Japan. And then the Koreans said, you always write about Japan and China, never about Korea. And I said, well, if you want to send me to Korea, you know. So it ended up, it ended up I went to 60 countries in, uh, you know, in uh, in six years. And um, I just thought, everyone said, well, you go to every country for three days. You must just see the airport and the hotel. So that's how we got the name, the Airport Economist. And um, it did have some origins. There was, 
a famous economist called Martin Broffenbrenner, who flew around Japan after World War II. He was called an airport economist. And then you might remember Milton Friedman, the Chicago economist, was flown in to advise Chile, the Pinochet regime. And he went to Australia and he came to Sydney Airport and they said, um, so, Mr. Friedman, what's your advice to Australia? And he said, oh, you've got to fight inflation first. You've got to, um, you know, uh, cut the budget deficit. And they said to him, oh, how long have you been to Australia? Have you been three days, three months? He said, no, I've just arrived. I'm just at Sydney Airport now. <laughs> and so it became a bit of a, a gag about economists who turn up at the airport and give you advice and then fly <laughs> off to the next place. So it was sort of like, I turned it into a positive, you know. <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, so you, you said you, you haven't been yet to Cali, but uh, I, I also like to you know to see what's on your list now that the world is is now you know reopening to travel, particularly for us in in Australia. We we took a little bit longer, but but what's on your list? What are some of the next destinations? Well, I've got a bit of a, a plan. I've been doing this climate innovation series with DFAT on. Because we, when when the borders closed, DFAT sent me around to regional Australia to look at who'd been affected by the bushfires and the floods and COVID. And then we had a look. We noticed that uh, some of the architecture buildings, like Architects Assist, were helping people rebuild um, their houses with renewable materials. Um, so we've started making a climate innovation series on how the world can put the green back in the green and gold. And I know that Fortescue is very big in Colombia and Ecuador and uh, Peru. So I think there will be a new airport economist climate series in Latin America. And um, I'm also doing a show on sport, on the economics of football, as in soccer, Aussie rules, rugby league, rugby union, footynomics. So uh, we'll wow. probably do some football diplomacy with uh, Colombia because, uh, you know, the, the connections between Latin America and Australia, a lot of it is, you know, is, is, is soccer based and rugby in the case of Argentina and Uruguay. So we'll probably be doing some some sport-related work and, of course, cycling in Colombia being so important. Yeah, and, and you know, cycling is huge. It both is, is one of the strong connections between Australia and Colombia. And as you probably would have seen, uh, an Australian cyclist just won the Giro d'Italia. Uh, yeah, yeah so, so there's a lot of, of you know, uh, connection points between the two countries in sports. Probably surfing too, I think, on the yeah, coast. yeah, yeah. We, uh, I remember we, um, we came across this, this beautiful project led by, by some Australians in, in Colombia teaching uh, and providing kids in, in the west coast of Colombia in, in Chocó. Uh, teaching them how to to surf and providing with surfboards, a beautiful project. So I think this is definitely something that will will highlight some of the great work uh, uh, that so many people is doing behind you know behind the the behind the curtain in terms of you know that doesn't get the visibility that uh, that yeah, they actually should that. should get. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I wanted to ask you about um, also. Uh, how, how do you see in in the next few uh, you know in the next few years uh, because you talk about uh, climate and your climate series this is this is a huge topic huge topic in in every single country but uh, how are we integrating are we integrating properly this this sort of uh, cleaner energies 
it's particularly for for Colombia and Australia, which, as you said, uh, are heavily relied on on the extraction of resources. Uh, how are we moving forward? Are we doing enough progress? We're doing more than we think. And one reason I made the climate innovation uh, show was that um, people are constantly um, looking at Paris targets, but they're forgetting all the companies that are doing a lot in renewable energy and uh, sustainable building and, and in, in, in the mining sector included. You know, I spent a lot of time in Colombia going to mines that had very poor safety and um, the improvement that Australian miners have made in Colombia with health and safety for miners um, was similar to the sustainability argument. Uh, I think, you know, as you develop, you improve and you can improve safety standards and, you know, improve... Um, you know, the impact on the environment. And I know that, um, you know, Dr. Andrew Forrest at Fortescue Future Industries is very interested in uh, improving sustainability in the, in, in the area in terms of transport, but also mining and, and agriculture. And um, one, one person, uh, one company I should mention is uh, Anchor, because um, some Colombian um, students in Melbourne went back to Colombia and set up a uh, drone business with agriculture. You know, the areas that were, that were being controlled by the FARC, they uh, basically allowed you to um, tackle your pesticides with drones. And we looked at that in the TV show. You could basically cover a lot of the countryside in an hour when it would have taken you, you know, weeks to do it. So um, there's a lot of, you know, exciting technological advances that will improve agriculture and mining that have been done by Colombians that are educated in Australia and they go home and, uh, you know, improve their industries, which I think is a great, a remarkable achievement. Yes, yes, they are. I, I, I've met with them a, a couple of years ago when in my last trip to to Bogota as well, and is yeah, is one of the you know the the other big topics in in the bilateral agenda, which is obviously apart from mining, but we have seen this this progress in terms of um, adding more companies and more industries with presence or or that presses in Colombia that have a historical background uh, leading to to Australia. And agribusinesses and agrotechnology is something that is coming really strong. I think that's right. No, I think that's where a lot of the growth is going to be. And I know the ambassador made that a, um, a signature of his time in Australia and likewise with uh, Erica and Sophie in, in Bogota. Yes, yeah, definitely. So... Um, <clears throat> Again, I wanted to 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 pick your brain about you know how do you see the the next few chapters unfolding in terms of the Australia Colombia relationship. Yeah, look, I think I think it'll be I think sustainability in agriculture and mining will be important. I think the education links will grow. I think it'll be not just Colombians going to Australia and getting their degrees. I think there'll be more. Uh, research collaboration, which is what you want. You don't want open cut mining approach to student welfare. You actually want collaboration at a institutional research level. So I think that'll be good for Australia and, and potentially good for Colombia. And then I think we'll probably will develop with the Pacific Alliance. I think we'll develop um, those Pacific Coast countries, including you know, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, and Peru, a lot because yeah, as we know, you know, China's big and India's big and Russia's big, but um, each individual country in Latin America can be quite effective uh, as a as a group, and the Pacific Alliance has really showed that they've had an incredible impact uh, in Australia. And um, uh, Flavia said she'd like to open up a pro Colombia office in Sydney. So um, 
uh, that would be a great a great thing for Pro Columbia because they're a very impressive organisation, and I think she wanted to make that one of her one of the key parts of her legacy. Just COVID got in the way temporarily. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, you know that that put on hold so many interesting things that mm. we were very excited about. Uh, for example, this this uh, flight, uh, a connecting flight uh, with Australia via Peru. So yes. that was something that unfortunately was put on hold due to the pandemic. What you mentioned about Pro Colombia, at the moment they're running uh, all from uh, from Singapore. If I'm uh, some, if I'm not mistaken, but but uh, we're looking forward uh, looking forward to to increase um, you know the connection points between between both countries. You you've touched on, on something super important, which is research. And uh, we know that uh, Australian, uh, sorry, Colombian youth, uh, they love Australia. We, you know, is Colombia is one of the main source countries in terms of, of international students to the Australian market. Uh, some of them, in the case like me, we decided to stay. Uh, and and yeah, why uh, uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> Uh, but but uh, this is this is something that we we see as as a great great story about uh, the connection between both countries. You obviously work in the sector. How do you see um, the, the next few years in terms of of increasing and expanding that presence of international students here in in Australia? Well, Colombians are very good at MBA programs. I've had that experience, you know, because they're very vocal and uh, very intelligent. Uh, uh, and I think I think a lot of the um, technology and know-how will be expanded. So probably you'll see more uh, Colombians in research, uh, in engineering and uh, architecture and, and those types of technical subjects as well. Um, and um, let's face it, they make, Colombians make the campuses a lot better looking uh, on average <laughs> in Australia. So I think that's a, that's been a, been a bonus. Cle- uh, clearly not because of me. <laughs> oh, male and female, I <laughs> You're too modest. So I, I want to go back uh, to to your to your origin uh, as uh, as an economist. Uh, what what led you to to this field of studies? There's a couple of reasons. I mean, one is um, I was very interested in politics when I was a kid, and uh, in the '70s we had the Whitlam government that was very good on foreign policy, but um, Economically, they needed a bit more, um, a bit more oomph, and um, I always wanted to work for the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, that Bob Hawke led, and of course Bob Hawke became one of our greatest prime ministers. And when I was about fifteen, I went into the ACTU in Melbourne, and I said I wanted a job, and they said, "Well, you've got to get a trade and you know lead a union, or you've got to get a university degree first, mate." You know, and uh, I said, "What should I do?" And they said, "Well, law or economics, but we can always hire a lawyer." Really, having a good economist would be better. So uh, I did the economics degree and then I ended up working for the ACTU and the same job that Bob Hawke did in the 1950s, I did in the 90s. So uh, it was uh, a a number of number of very capable people have done that done that job. So I I think I was just lucky that I did the degree that um, led to the job I wanted to do. I know that you also have a a soft spot for for Aboriginal related issues. Uh, I think it was part of uh, also your your early career uh, as a That's researcher. Right. Uh, 
uh, we, you know, I think is 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 one of of the things that definitely we need to speak a, a lot more about, uh, particularly the contribution that uh, they they make to every single area in 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 uh, you know in economy, industry, politics, sports, um, and um, I wanted to know if you had the chance to to see some of this in, in your travels, not only in Colombia but uh, you know in, in Latin America. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have, um, particularly in uh, in Chile and Peru and Brazil, but um, also in Asia. Uh, my I, I have two adopted children. One's from China, my daughter, and my son is from Taiwan. And my son is actually Taiwanese Aborigine. Uh, uh, the Taiwanese um, uh, Aborigines are related to Maoris and Hawaiian uh, Islanders as they moved across the Pacific. So I do make uh, an Indigenous component of every every bit of my travels. Um, I was very lucky, you know, when I was a young guy at the ACTU, I said, uh, they said, apart from your day job, which is economics, what, do you, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I like Aboriginal affairs and trade. And they said, great, they're really boring subjects. You can do them both. So I was lucky because I got into trade and that's how I led to a career in Austrade. And then with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs was great because I worked with uh, um, a young woman called Janina Harding, who is a, actually, she's a Torres Strait Islander. Uh, as well as Aboriginal. Uh, she now runs the Cairns Indigenous Art Gallery up in Cairns, uh, up near the Torres Strait. And she, Janina and I were, um, we were tasked with, uh, in every state and territory, putting in place an Aboriginal uh, employment officer. And ever, whenever there was a major tourism or mining or agricultural or infrastructure project, we would um, see if we could get some jobs for Aboriginal workers, uh, Indigenous workers, and we would help with the training. So we ended up creating quite a lot of jobs for young Indigenous people back then, and they've all had successful careers, including Janina. And uh, one person who was very influential was John Moriarty, who um, uh, heads up uh, Ballaringi, who painted the Qantas Jumbo and does all the Qantas mm -hmm. artwork. Uh, uh, John and Roz Moriarty were very influential in uh, helping champion Aboriginal employment, uh, which I, I thought was terrific because I thought, um, uh, the most important thing is uh, give people a job and a career and some hope and, uh, you know, the rest will look after itself. And so my focus on Indigenous affairs has always been employment, uh, employment related. And um, uh, I've always I've always liked the fact uh, John and Roz and Janina have always um, they've always said that um, whatever your background, whether you've been in Australia for 50,000 years or or five years, like my son, you're a part of the country, you know, whether you're Colombian or or Indigenous or Torres Strait Islander, Aboriginal uh, or a convict, you know, or Transylvanian, you're, you're a part of the country. And I think that's the that's a, a great message of, uh, of unity. And um, uh, in terms of Indigenous people in Latin America, I've got a um, good friend up in Darwin uh, who you know, Giovanna, who runs the, the Crocodile Park for many years. She, she's Colombian uh, Indigenous as well, and she's been a great ambassador for... Uh, Colombia and Australia up up in up in the Northern Territory. Yes, indeed, I I know Giovanna as well, and uh, you know as 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 her story, uh, there are so many cases in which we hope to you know in a in a second project that we we will be running with DFED to highlight some of of, of these. Um, 
from most importantly to highlight the, the, the value or the share lessons that they can provide to any other sectors um, um, as you know coming with that Aboriginal background because it really adds to to our society but more importantly to what represents Australia which is is fantastic this multicultural country that uh, that it's uh, you know I consider like a, we, we can proud ourselves of, of the great work that uh, the society as a whole in, in, in Australia has achieved in terms of inclusion. The, there is still, you know, room for improvement, of course, but it's something that we, we need to highlight. I think about that myself, you know, like I'm, my ancestors came from Transylvania, you know, we were Harkovits and my grandfather wanted to get into Bondi Surf Club, so he changed it to Harcourt. He went from the Goldbergs to the Icebergs, you know, so they were they had a they had a, a paddle steamer that went around New South Wales called the Wandering Jew that sold goods and services to all their general stores, you know. So that was in the 19th century. And uh, on my mum's side, we were convicts, you know. So uh, everyone on my background is either a refugee, came here illegally, or was a convict who did something illegal to come here. So, you know, that's my background. <laughs> and then my, you know, my wife's from the US of Sicilian... Uh, Norwegian, Mongolian, Albanian background, and my kids are from China and Taiwan, so we're from everywhere. And and um, uh, you know, I reckon um, you know the, the contribution of the Vegemite Aussies, you know, to build up this great country and and uh, you know expand it has been a has been a great story. And I think that's yeah. why we're really really gaining from uh, people like yourself too that have made Australia their home. Yes, it is incredible. Now that you talk about Vegemite, uh, have have you given uh, too many of your guests uh, either in your in your TV series or your interviews to to try Vegemite? I have every 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 time I've been to a city, I've tried it on the local people, uh, and there's I've got a picture in Colombia of me with Vegemite in a cafe, trying to get locals to have it, uh, and um, uh, I convinced uh, a couple of ambassadors, the, the uh, Peruvian ambassador and the uh, uh, Mario Vargas, the head of uh, the Peruvian Trade Commission, and he's, he's a convert. And um, it's funny, when I took my MBA trip to Latin America on the first day, they said, oh, you know, I always, I always carry two tubes of Vegemite around. And they always said, oh, what an ocker. You've got your Akubra hat, your Aaron Williams shoes and your Vegemite. But after two weeks, they were saying, have you got any of that Vegemite? Because we want to put a bit on our toast. So they <laughs> Oh, you're very courageous. Yes. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Hard taste, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. But you have to develop it. It takes time, but, uh, you know, you, you can develop yeah. it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Tim, like I... It's I, I, rules. It takes some time to appreciate. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, definitely. Um, I, I want to know a little bit about um, your your work uh, in the university, but because I think it's, it's, it's good for our audience to see how... You know, people tend to think, you know, I will pursue in a career in, in, in academia, but but clearly you have diversified and maximized all, all your, your background, your studies, and, and turned this into a, a very, very interesting career. Um, involves, obviously, writing, but also traveling. Um, so I, I want to provide the audience with, with some of, of, of advice coming from you as to how to approach and how you manage to, to create this, this great reputation and great work that you're doing. Well, you're very kind. I mean, I'm at, the, I'm at UTS, University of Technology, right in Ultimo in Sydney. I'm at the Institute for Public Policy and Governance. And I've been very lucky because this institute is a, 
part teaching, part research, part consulting. And um, I myself do international trade and climate and labour markets and sport. There's other people here who do health and housing and, and urbanisation. So um, the good thing about UTX is UTS is we're a mix of industry and consulting. So you can have a portfolio career like me. So I can teach and research, host a TV show, host a podcast, appear on your podcast, write books uh, and, and give presentation so yeah, it's been quite lucky i think um you know i was lucky because i'd worked for the reserve bank and the actu and australia's chief economist and then i was hired into university after ha having that portfolio of those backgrounds so i think it's been quite lucky and uts very much is uh, into that so i mean my advice would be you know do what you're really passionate about interested at and you can base yourself in a number of places. You know, you can be in the university or the private sector or the public sector or, or the unions and NGO and you can you can make it all make it all happen. It depends on um, you know your, your your individual preferences. But it's important to have a subject area I think that you really like. Uh, yeah. most of all and let the money take care of itself. I'm I'm also interested in in, you know, uh, every time I speak to someone like you with a, an incredible career, um, it's, it's, it's always, I found it very useful to understand how do you manage to do so much because um, I'm, I'm also interested in the leadership side of things uh, on every person that I talk to, extracting the, the lessons. So you're quite a busy person with lots of projects, as you just told us. Uh, some of the of the advices that you might have for people listening in terms of managing time, uh, and 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 make sure that um, you know that you you achieve your goals. So so how do you approach these from a leadership perspective? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I mean, I had Bill Kelty as one of my leaders and mentors from a very young age, and he he he, he his advice was, I'm going to hire brilliant people and go off and be brilliant and. Um, we never had meetings, you know. I think I think when Paul Keating won the election, we had one meeting, and then he gave us two days off because he was so staggered that Keating had won the election, you know. Um, and so he, his philosophy was um, try and um, surround yourself with talented people, give them room to focus on their talents. And so I reckon that's a good leadership lesson. You don't have to be the smartest and the best at everything to be a good leader. Um, you just have to recognise the talents in others. And I noticed that. Bob Hawke was a very good prime minister, but he had a really good team of very capable ministers from all sorts of backgrounds, from being a butcher to a you know, train driver to a you know to to academics. So he really used that that that, that mix of talents. And I think Albanese is thinking along that way too. I mean, he um, you know, he fumbled through the election campaign, but he really hit his straps towards the end, and uh, he seems to be quite good at promoting talent around him politically. So that seems to be quite an important uh, leadership skill because I think people that are very secure in themselves can attract talent and keep talent uh, in, in others. But um, uh, I think there's a lot of trial and error. I mean, the airport economist idea was an accident, you know, uh, and so you can you can plan things for five years, but your best idea might be an accident in some ways. <laughs> You, you've touched on uh, on on how this new government uh, has just, you know, prime minister has just sworn in a couple of days ago or a week ago. Um, what are some of the the things that most likely changes that we'll see in economy policy uh, within this new government? 
Well, the first one's wages, and uh, I spoke about that on ABC TV last week in that um, the government does believe you should adjust the minimum wage uh, regularly, uh, and you've got to worry about equity in the labour market, and you've got to worry about providing people with good wages so that they're investing in skills and, and productivity. So I think that will be important. Um, you've seen with foreign policy, um, uh, you know, Penny Wong's going to be more activist, particularly in Asia, particularly in the Pacific. I mean, she's already been to a number of Pacific countries. And so um, she really wants to build on those relationships, you know, for strategic reasons and because of the importance of them in their in their own right. And uh, I guess we'll see a lot of work on climate innovation, uh, not just climate change activism and people getting worried about it, but actually doing things in mining and agriculture and sustainable renewable energy. And that's where the Airport Economist sort of climate innovation series uh, comes in. Um, so I think I think that'll that that'll be the front where you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of activity. And um, I think it'll be a good time for Latin America because um, you know traditionally Labor's been very activist in uh, Latin America and making sure that Australia Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade is well resourced around the world. Uh, so I think it'll be good. And um, you know the, the the I must you know you know say. The Council of uh, Australian-Latin American Relations has been very good, Koala. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think um, Koala will probably very, be very prominent in this new government. And, of course, they work very closely with you and I. So uh, I think that's a very important resource for, for the Albanese government to use the expertise of Koala and um, the Australian-Latin American Business Council and a lot of the people like yourself in the business community, Latin American business community in, in Australia will play an important role. Do, do you expect any... Big changes, or big or small, in in how we approach, uh, how Australia approaches global trade, um, in terms of positioning uh, in a in a in a much better place in terms of uh, free trade agreements. We we know that uh, at least with the Pacific Alliance, uh, the the free trade agreement is is still uh, in the negotiations. What are some of the things that you you envisions uh, envisions in in the next few years? With these new Look, that's a good question. I, I, I think I think you know Labor's very much committed to an open economy because it's benefited Australia. We've seen over the last thirty years since Hawking Keating starting those reforms. We're obviously not going to be over reliant uh, on one trading partner, and we've obviously got a very difficult geopolitical situation now with Russia and China. So Australia's going to need more friends, and you know Latin America are good friends to Australia, and um, uh, I think countries like Colombia that have recaptured their democratic spirit and their values will be very important i think in international trade particularly the way russia's behaving with uh, with ukraine so I, i think we'll expect more regional partnerships more free and fair trade agreements uh, and more consciousness of uh, uh, social policy environment policy labor markets indigenous affairs those types of things when looking at international diplomacy so i think that's um, something that we share with columbia Um, I don't know if, if you're aware, but uh, it, it, you know, Australia just obviously changed, went through a change of government. Colombia is about to. Uh, it's only a, a couple of weeks from 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 Colombia to go and vote for the second time during the second round of presidential elections. Um, there are two candidates that have uh, clearly uh, positioned themselves in 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 a in a very good place to to change uh, 
uh, at least the economic model that was uh, preached or practiced over the last few years. How do you expect to see you know uh, this factor in the, in the Australia-Colombia relationship? Yeah, look, I don't, I, don't, I don't like to tell other countries how to vote or how, how to do their business, but um, I would say this. I mean, obviously, there is a, a good middle ground between the you know the hard right neoliberalism and the the left populism. So finding you know a reasonable social democratic moderate path where you have an open economy, but you look after the poor and you uh, have good social structures is the way to go. Uh, and um, there seems to be still in Latin America a consensus that that's the best model. Uh, so um, what I would hope is that, like in Australia, we've got a, a moderate social democratic uh, government, not a radical government, but a, a caring government, then uh, I think that's a good uh, you know, that's a good sign for the way Latin America has, has gone in the, last, uh, in the last decade or so with democratic governments with good values and eschewing some of the... Um, extremes that we've seen in you know, other parts of the world and uh, you know even in the united states that had you know some polar extremes between uh you know very right-wing populism and, and left-wing sort of woke woke attitudes where, where um nothing seems to get done because it's all it's all shouting each other on social media yeah. instead of doing things yeah unfortunately that's the case um in terms of, of travel uh any changes you see how the way obviously now is changed the way we travel but uh, how do you th how do you think uh, the next few years will 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 look like in terms of, of the way doing business um, and uh, how we travel in, in in the next few years look I think I think I don't think it's ever going to go back to what it was before the pandemic I think we're going to be a little bit more less frequent frequent in our travel but we'll make it really count. Um, I think people worked out that you, you, there are a lot of things that you used to get on a plane for you could do on a Zoom meeting, unfortunately. And uh, Koshi, who produces the airport economist, said, oh, you could do it all on a green screen in Sydney. And I said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I need to go to Brazil. I need to go to Colombia. Very important. Uh, so I, I think I think people are going to have to maintain the human relationships. And you've seen, um, uh, you know, Penny Wong had to go to the Pacific. She couldn't have done a Zoom call with the Pacific leaders. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, so there'll yeah. be very, you know, there'll be, in some ways, the personal touch will be more important and we'll pay a, more of a premium for it. Um, but I don't think people are going to perhaps do the same frequency on which uh, they used to travel. But an upside is the people are looking more at sustainable tourism, which is very good for Colombia, very good for Australia. Um, we realised that um, there's a lot of things you can do in the outdoors, in the environment, where there's... Not a lot of people around, so you got the you got the social distancing all, all sorted out. So I think um, a lot of people in Colombia and Australia will discover more natural things away from away from crowds. So in, in some ways, I think for eco tourism, it will be a good thing. Yeah, definitely, um, Tim. Um, I know this this is not on on your specific area of research, but. Uh, but there's clearly uh, I wanted to touch base on 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 the housing crisis uh, because it's, it's something that touches on all of us. Um, you know, we've we've seen uh, over the last few weeks uh, the the change in in uh, the hike on on interest rates. What do you see this? How this will play out in the next few years? When I moved from Melbourne to Sydney, in Melbourne it was always who do you barrack for? In Sydney it was 
you know, what do you think about housing prices? That's always been the, the conversations you have because uh, housing is very important. We see that all around Australia now. Look, I think um, we've had low interest rates for a long time. Uh, and um, what I've noticed is that um, housing affordability in regions has been quite good. And for the first time now, regional areas, um, not just Sydney and Melbourne, are, are doing quite well. And so I think people have noticed that they can get a job where they can work from home in a regional area, not have to live in a city, Sydney or Melbourne, that it's quite possible. So I think in some ways the distribution of housing may improve in Australia. Um, what you do about housing prices, well, a lot of it's to do with uh, with supply and availability of land. A lot of it's to do with the fact that the baby boomers, God bless them, have bought up all the investment properties. And as you saw in the 2019 election, it's hard to unravel unravel that once you touch negative gearing in australia it's politically very difficult so there's got to be a solution that looks at looks at housing supply and uh, looks at some of the tax treatment now, i know the um the industry super funds uh, are very interested in doing something on 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 housing in the future for the affordability for younger generations so i think there might be some action to to happen uh, on that yeah so we have a very interesting year in terms of sports uh, I know you're working on, on that, but we have the World Cup uh, at the end of the year in Qatar. Um, one of the things that amazes me about uh, sports is, is the ridiculous amount of money that is involved, particularly in football. Yes. Are you, are you having a look into any of that in your research? Oh, I have. It's incredible, isn't it? And I think um, what, I found, what I found extraordinary is the... Um, amount of money that um, players in soccer get paid to leave South America to play in Europe. Uh, you know, the magnet's just huge. And that's why you see Brazilian footballers in Norway in the Faroe Islands and whatever. And similar with rugby, um, you know, Pacific Islanders from Fiji and so on all go to France and play because the money's uh, extraordinary. Um, so, um you know, there is people do pay big money for for stars, and that's sort of part of the part of the um, you know part of the world, the global market for for, for soccer and, and rugby and so on. The, the good thing about Aussie rules is it's only played in Australia, so uh, we, we see the best like like we see in cricket. So that's actually a plus. Um, but the beautiful thing about the World Cup, particularly in, in, in the FIFA World Cup, is that the stars play for their home country, and um, I think that's what makes it really really yeah. special uh and uh you know there's something very uh romantic about the world cup always for for that for that reason that perhaps you don't see in um in the in the in the, in the super leagues and the super cups as much as i love the liverpool football club um uh, as an australian fan um the world cup is the world cup is is very is, is very special and uh i didn't expect qatar to get it um but um, no doubt they'll, you know, they'll have the stadiums ready, and uh, once the games start, we'll we'll love it. I mean, I I attended the South African World Cup in twenty ten, and everyone's worried about South Africa. Of course, they did a good job. So I mean, every every country will do will do a reasonable job. Unfortunately for for both of us, neither Colombia nor Australia will will be playing the World Cup. You still got a chance, Colombia, or not? No, no, no. We're out. We're out. You're out in, Australia's still have got a chance, but it's it's. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it it's it's, it's out. I think it. Don't we have one more game in UAE? Oh, okay. 
Uh, I mean, last time I checked, I think the, the 32 teams are, uh, are already. I think, I think if they beat UAE, they've got a chance of making a playoff, but it's very remote. Yeah, unfortunately for us. Yeah, that's right. Well, you've had good teams, that's true. It means it's harder in Latin America, though. It's much more competitive to, to make it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult, uh, not as tough as uh, they have to do in, in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to see who, who's going to come up a winner on, on this first. If, if Colombia's not in it, who do you go for in the World Cup? Uh, I guess uh, Brazil. I think yeah. I have more chances yeah. to to come out <laughs> happy. Every, everyone's second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brazil. But uh, um, but you know, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to know mm. who's going to come up winner. Um, team, um, you know, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and thank you again for the generosity of your time. Uh, We touch on on a bit of every single topic. We have to maximize the time. Uh, But yeah, but, but no, we, we're really, really happy to, to have you in this, in this podcast. Um, Thank you again on behalf of all the team. Um, We look forward to continue conversation uh, in any of any other projects that we will roll out in the next few, few months. Um, we wish you all the best, um, and, and please, if, if you can just leave a, a quick uh, message to all the audience uh, listening to you in Colombia and Australia, uh, that would be great. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure, and thank you for, for having me on and it's such an engaging conversation. Yeah, look, to all the Colombians in, in Colombia, you've been wonderful hosts and hostesses for me, uh, uh, everywhere from the, the businesses like Anchor to Pro Columbia to the, the embassy, Australian embassy in Bogota. So I can't wait to get back soon. And to all the um, Colombians living in Australia, you're great ambassadors for your country. And uh, the more I can interact and engage with you on projects on Australia and Colombia and the Pacific Alliance, I, I'd love to. And all the Aussies who love Latin America, who may not be Latin American yourself, I know there's a lot out there too that are fascinated with uh, the continent and a real uh, many of them are, are great champions of Colombia in particular so very important allies of uh, of Australia Colombia relations uh, as well so um, thank you all and I look forward to traveling soon and meeting you and and uh, you know the airport of Coros will be flying again very soon uh, thank you Tim thank you it's been a pleasure thank you thank you gracias thank you for listening to the Australia Colombia dialogue podcast if you like this episode, please share, leave a comment, review the show on iTunes, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. You can find more about the dialogue at allscoldialogue.org. That is A-U-S-C-O-L dialogue.org. Or on any of our social media platforms where you can also connect with our team. Our show is presented to you by Cesar Alvarez, produced by Jose Ruiz, and edited by Ethan McMaster, advancing and promoting our country's bilateral relations.